Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Bates. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computech. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Sajil Kreshi here with another episode of RevOps 500, where we interview some of the world's greatest and latest uh, marketing and RevOps gurus. Today, I am extremely excited and a little bit honored to, uh, to be talking to a human-centered marketer with 20-plus years of marketing experience. Uh, she's a leader. She's got expertise in enterprise. Uh, she's an ABM expert, and she knows content marketing extremely well. She has a strong background in different kinds of businesses like Microsoft and Expedia, other large tech providers as well. She's a thought leader. And on top of all that, she's a very talented independent musician. <laughs> uh, Samara Donald, welcome to RevOps 500. Thanks so much, Sajil. Great to be here. All right. So Samara, let's get right into it. Uh, what is one RevOps myth that you can share with our listeners? I would say the biggest uh, myth I've come across over my experience is that RevOps is a, a tool or a system or a combination of both. Um, and that it really is a technology um, more than it is about, you know, the people in the process. So the people in the process. So like, how, how, what do you mean by exactly the people in the process? Is it, is it like, uh, can, you, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Or? Sure. I mean, it's my general philosophy about um I'll just say, you know, corporate enterprise and the way work gets done uh, as much as um, it is just in general about technology that um, really it's the people um, who are using the technology, the platforms, et cetera, and or building the processes where things uh, kind of make or break, either slow it down or speed it up. Um, that clearly technology is simply technology and can be very powerful, but until, um, you know, puts put in the hands of uh, the right uh, the right group of people with the right uh, attitudes, the right behavior, the right objectives, it would be useless. So it's almost like you're saying that, that, the, that the technology takes on the life of the people who are using it in a way. For sure. I mean, I definitely have, you know, um, uh, again, just a general philosophy that uh, technology is obviously built by people and those people will influence the technology and therefore the technology is a reflection of the people. This is especially true in AI. Um, I, I did a, a lot of studies on gender and kind of how gender can influence what actually is coming out in technology as just one, one factor of the humans that are going into um, uh, coding the technology. But also then it really, I think the larger part is about um, how the people and the processes are built around that technology. Um, are for me far more important than um, technology. This is just to say, I think oftentimes we'll go into, let's say, building something like, you know, let's build a RevOps team. Um, we'll say the tool is going to solve everything. You know, the tool will not solve everything. Um, the, the tool is just a tool and it will need to be used by um, people and processes and, and those need to be developed alongside um, the technology and 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 probably just that developed alongside as opposed to maybe an, after, mm -hmm. an afterthought um, or not even a thought. So, so when you talk about develop, I mean, it sounds like you you have to develop the people like that. That you mean like the training, the knowledge, understanding how to use it, because you get what you put in with the technology, right? 
Yes. I'll talk a little bit more about it. I also, you know, foundationally believe that first and foremost, understanding how the organization is organized and then operates. So what's the organizing model? Who does what? How is the org structured as much as the operating model then between those teams of people, for example? So really thinking through what are we solving for both from a you know, what does this tool need to do? What does the data need to show us? What are the reports it needs to give us? What's the insights we want from it? But who is actually going to be using that tool? How will they use it within their organization? Do we have competing needs? Do we have shared goals? Do we have clear lines of ownership, authority, uh, R&R uh, between teams? And oh, by the way, how do those teams communicate? What are the mechanisms that those te teams you know, work together um, and 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 using that kind of um, vantage point to to really think through what a tool or a process is really trying to solve. Um, because I think if, if we go into you know exercises of let's build a tool, we're often looking at what do we want to get from this tool versus looking at what are really the underlying problems we may well, have in the organization functionally. Um, again, with regard to the people. Um, that we need to solve for, um, that we may not be able to even articulate, but that are there if we take a deeper look at the organizing structure and the operating models um, within the organization. So, I mean, that's a lot to think about. That's a, that's a lot to a lot, a lot to a lot to process, a lot to think about. How do you prevent like something like analysis paralysis from happening when you think about all of those, yeah. all of moving pieces? I mean, how do you how do you get around that? Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's it can be. Yeah. Look at organizing models, for example. You get to organizational design, and and there will never be a perfect solution to organize a complex company. You know, companies right. these days are um, particularly large enterprises. Um, there's never the right answer. It's just what is the answer that we are going to choose to organize ourselves against. And okay. I think that's important to bear in mind is we're making a choice. All all kind of org structures, operating models, or all strategies are simply choices. There's no right answer. So it's really about. I think everyone being on the same page and understanding um, how the organization actually works. It's quite interesting. I was listening to um, one of your episodes um, uh, just yesterday, and and uh, there was a guest on your show talking about, you know, it's really important that, uh, let's say for new employees, people joining the team, that everybody has a shared understanding of how we make money as a first step. And I think that is so true. I think too often we um, bring new people into the organization and 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 people just don't really go, get to that fundamental question of how do we make money? Uh, what is our revenue, you know, pathway um, or what's our business model, right? And uh, that becoming the kind of foundational understanding. I would say it's equally important to have everybody on the same page and understand how our company operates from, again, the human side of things, how our, te how our teams are organized, um, why we organize this way, why we've chosen to organize this way. Um, and then again, how fundamentally um, work gets done across these teams. Ultimately, that's what a company is, is humans coming together to do things that then produce, you know, in a corporate environment, it produce revenue. Um, and you get to that fundamental question. So for me, I always take that step backwards and say, before I get to how we make money and what our business model is, but how are we actually organized and who's, which, which teams do what? Um, are we a traditional structure with engineering and product development and then marketing and then sales? Or are we a totally different type of organization where we've got something as progressive as RevOps and DevOps um, that bring those teams together, et, et cetera? Strauss stuff simple when you think so, man. <laughs> I mean, this, this sounds so much simple. It sounds very simple, but at the same time, it's 
it's so much more complicated than that, isn't it? I mean, like, well, it's it's Occam's razor, right? And sometimes the, the best solution is the simplest one. It's almost backing up and saying, okay, is everybody on the same page with you know? I think these things are assumed sometimes that everybody understands how we make money, everybody understands how we're organized. And I just my personal passion is is really around you know organizational design, development, sociology, etc. And um, that's a slight I've come to learn that's a slightly unusual vantage point, and I. You know, I, I use that often if, when I have conversations with with people who are like, gosh, I'm really struggling to get this done or I'm really struggling to have sales understand what it is we're really doing here in marketing and kind of say, well, let's back up. You know, let's let's talk about how sales is organized. Let's talk about the fundamentals of what sales is motivated by. Um, are we motivated by the same things? Do we have shared goals fundamentally um, and really backing up? And that, that's why I talk about being human centered um, is I, I, I really try to look at that, that side of things, which is really just to say, it's about how people operate together, um, more so than it is about, you know, any one individual and, and where they're coming from. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit less about people and more about robots. Sure. So what, what, what is, uh, not robots, but technology. So what keeps you up at night technically right now in like a RevOps technology stack engine and that kind of thing? Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. I think what keeps me, me up, um, Certainly these days, and just, you know, this has been the case in the last, I'd say, five years. Everything has be, has seemed to have become so complex. It is really a, how do we keep up with the complexity, not, not just of, you know, the marketplace at large, but of customers and how fast they're changing, their needs are changing, how fast our companies and organizations are changing. With the pandemic, nobody could have ever expected um, the myriad changes um, that that required, certainly for for marketing, I think we saw things um, very, very rapidly change, you know, into the virtual world and how we connect with customers, certainly for sales, um, that was the case. So how can we, how can our technology, uh, you know, keep up with all these changes that are happening um, so rapidly? And, and, you know, even beyond the pandemic, you know, just take today's, you know, buzzword of Gen AI and um, buzz, I guess you call it buzz technology. Uh, now it's a whole question of how do we get, you know, our systems thinking for themselves and doing things that automate all of our lives so that we can move on to, um, you know, bigger, greater uh, things. And that I think just, it's both uh, keeps me up at night from a, how do we keep our technology and our people and our, and our processes up to speed, but but also how do I personally keep up to speed? You know, as one <laughs> has crossed the 20 year mark in, in, in the world of technology, it, it becomes harder and harder to just keep track of everything. Um, so that is definitely, I think, top of mind for, for, for me. And um, I wouldn't say I have any uh, strong tips or solutions to how to solve for that with exception of um, relentlessly prioritizing um, everything that, you know, all of this complexity and really what is, you know, rising to the, to the top, to the top of the sort of pile of things we need to sort of keep on top of, keep up with, and where can I have the largest, greatest influence and what other things can I perhaps, you know, delegate downward or, um, you know, essentially work with another team to, to, to put on their priority list, um, et cetera. Okay. So when, when it comes to like, you mentioned giving yourself up to speed and then Obviously, you know, the technology itself is constantly changing. It's very, very complex. When things get so very, very complex, it seems like every every discipline, I mean, not just marketing. I mean, every discipline is very, very scientific now. I mean, marketing is not just, you can't just have one person as a marketing who just knows everything. I mean, there's 
web developers, there's SEO people, there's design, there's content, there's copy, there's video. Experts are, are, you know, are niched now, right? So how does a generalist live in a niche-driven world, I guess? What is the key? How does that happen? I, I mean, for me, I really think you're, you're absolutely right. That is, that is the key question is that as a generalist, and I think that's just what happens over your, the course of one's career, you become more general because, you know, go to management or what have you. And, um, I think it, you know, I heard Bill Gates once say like, you know, his, his main, his main success comes from choosing the right people to have on his team. And that's what I rely on as well. I, I, you know, really hold a high bar, um, you know, in terms of, of hiring and, um, you know, I'll look for specific, you know, experts in, in an area, particularly where I have a gap. So, you know, I'm not a, you know, data analyst, I'm not, a, um, you know, a business analyst, but I will therefore need to fill my gaps with experts, um, into, into the team. And, you know, also looking for, you know, to build that team that fills each other's gaps. Um, and if I can't source it on my team, if I don't have, you know, the, the resourcing, then it's where can I borrow from in another part of the organization, you know, seek out people who have that expertise, who may have a tool or a system and it's, and it's 80% of what we need. Great. Let's leverage that as opposed to maybe building something new. Um, I think there's definitely this, you know, in, in the technology sector, we're all kind of, you know, builders. And so it's const a constant, you know, shiny new thing. And we want to build things. We want to develop cool things that solve this problem very specifically. <laughs> um, but, but really, I think you can, one can move faster by looking to maybe take, if it's 80% solves my problem and it goes twice as fast, that may be the right, you know, trade-off um, by borrowing maybe another, another system that kind of fills the need of, of where we're, we're seeing a gap. So, you know, you, you talk about having your, having the gaps that we have or filled with other people and, and on, a, on, in a team, you know, say if you, if you, if you're good at one thing, filling the gaps with people who are good at other things that maybe you are not as strong in or something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've talked about the past a little bit. Let's talk about the future of marketing, RevOps, these sorts of things. Do you think that's going to change at all? How do you feel like that mentality will, will stay the same? Will, dif will differ? What is your, what is your opinion? No, I'm, I'm super excited about, you know, just the I idea for, for RevOps. And in many companies, it's still just an idea. And many, in many companies, we still have these silos, right, of um, marketing operations, sales operations, services operations. We're all using different tools. They don't talk to each other. You can't even see and, you know, marketing doesn't see into sales. Sales doesn't see into marketing. And that feels so antiquated when you actually look at this sort of um, discipline of, of RevOps. Um, and I see DevOps is kind of the parallel to that on the engineering side, right? You had separations of engineering product, um, et cetera, teams, and, and DevOps has kind of been able to, to tie that, um, to try to tie that knot uh, together. Uh, for, for me, I don't, I don't know how we could do it any other way than by looking at sales marketing services, um, you know, all in one view and vantage point. At, at the end of the day, I, I think we, we, we see so marketers who are in the world of, of siloed operations, tools, technology, I'm going to include in that, um, as the crux of very large strategic implications, meaning it, we literally have different goals and different measures between sales and marketing. And if that's the case, not we, I'm just saying hypothetically, if there are different systems, different tools um, and, and processes, we, we may be in a situation where we have... Uh, completely different, um, you know, lenses on what are we trying to achieve, um, which just fundamentally doesn't seem like the recipe for success. 
So what I what I love about just the let's say philosophically RevOps, um, and then depending on how that looks in your company, because it can look very different company to company, that the the fundamental philosophy of bringing sales marketing services together under one mechanism, potentially one tool set, potentially one set of processes, definitely one set of goals, definitely one set of core metrics um, with maybe some variations based on you know teams. I would say feels definitely me the, the future and not, um, not something that will kind of um, slip away in the wind. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of RevOps 500. This podcast is a great opportunity and channel for revenue operations and much more. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to ship production to a friendly team, check out ringmaster.com. They're the team behind this podcast. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computan. Computan serves as the back-end dev and technology team for shorthanded marketing agencies and departments. Shorthanded. Wait a minute. That sounds like me. Now, let's get back to it. The end. It's a very detailed, it's, it's very detailed what you're thinking, but it's just, it is very, very simple. Like, you know, it, it's very, very black and white, very arbitrary, you're kind of looking at what's happened in the past, looking at what's happening in other industries and applying it in a RevOps context, which is probably, you know, if you're, if you're hedging your bets, it's probably how it's going to shake out. I think so. And I, I think the more we begin to, I'll say, build some more templatized or maybe slightly more, um, I don't want to say rigid, but just more, um, you know, a blueprint for what does, what does successful RevOps look like? Like I feel RevOps is really in its infancy. I, I only experienced it at, uh, in my experience in startup. And I think startup is, has, uh, you know, the ability to kind of really, um, uh, start with that foundation of RevOps versus I'd say, you know, enterprises who've been in existence for 50 plus years, 25 plus years, it's harder because you're talking about bringing together what is today in silos into something new, which then again requires change management, behavior change, potentially identity change, which is a whole other problem yeah. um, versus, you know, if you're in a startup, you're able to, and you, you start with that philosophy, someone's kind of come in on the operations side and said, let's not start marketing ops, sales ops, services ops. Let's actually do this all together. Notwithstanding, I think there's always, there'll always be a time and a place in it and a space, a place in a space for something like marketing ops and sales ops uniquely, um, in addition to the sort of more centralized rev ops, but it, it's sort of more like a, a spoke of a wheel um, versus um, what is in existence, I think, in some legacy enterprises, which is the, um, the siloed and there's nothing tying, tying everything together. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's, it's it's again poignant and probably probably accurate. So look, I, 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 I just probably yeah, probably true, right? So okay, so smart. The first half of this the episode, and we we've learned a lot from you. Now let's try to learn a little bit more about you. Okay, so how did you get here? What's the story? I mean, were you always built this way? I mean, what happened? Oh, I wasn't always built this way for sure. Um, no, I um my childhood was uh, on the stage and as you mentioned I, I kind of come back to to some uh, hobby hobby music making um, yeah. I went to university for music I thought I was going to be an opera singer and um, decided I didn't really want to do that and so sort of exploring you know as you do in college of what are some other things I could kind of do with my life uh, and was really attracted to communications and media in particular Um kind of the like media buying side, which is a lot about spreadsheets and, and looking at numbers and ZPLs, et cetera. 
Um, and I had this wonderful professor in university who said, you know, what are you going to do after college? I was like, I don't know. And he says, I have this friend. She works at Microsoft. She likes some raw talent. I said, Microsoft? Like those people who make my computer? I don't know what that is. Um, and that was literally me at, you know, 18 and flash forward. Um, I had some fantastic uh, opportunities and experience to really play roles in all the sides of um, what one mentor once called the four wheels of the go-to-market car. Sales, marketing, services, and partner was what she could have framed as the four wheels of a car um, that ultimately, you know, have the engine of the product and, and solutions that, that we're offering and obviously all the other parts, HR and finance, what have you. But you can see where I got an early early learning about how all these teams work together to drive a car and my ultimate passion for really understanding fundamentally how those, how the wheels work together um, to, to drive the car. Um, yeah. So some fantastic experiences. I worked in customer support for some time. I worked, um, I had the pleasure of working for um, uh, a, a vice president of uh, emerging markets and looking at emerging markets from, from the context of, I mean, talking about so far away from RevOps um, and emerging markets, although, you know, we, 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 could, we could use, you know, data to kind of tell us where are the markets that we want to you know, pay attention to, et cetera, yeah. uh, especially if that data is coming from one place. So data, data in and of itself, I think, has always been a fundamental side of all the roles that I, I played. I think that's probably not uh, uncommon in, in, in just today's world data. Data is playing a major part of our, our lives, no matter what, you know, career we're in. Um, I've always, always considered myself a marketer, um, despite working, you know, in sales and services or, you know, field partner marketing, um, always been kind of a, a marketer at heart. And I, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting one. I've been really questioning why that identity, why is my identity so bonded to, to marketing? But uh, I don't have an answer for that, but nonetheless, it is. <laughs> so that's kind of been my my career experience. Um, I, I've been able to obviously work for large technology companies, um, startups, um, agency side for a while, as you mentioned, doing um, really some deep work in ABM um, and executive marketing, um, really thinking about, once again, uh, the human side of things, you know, all the, in an enterprise technology decision, all of those players at the table and how do we think about their mindset and their um, their, their attitudes toward technology, their attitudes toward each other, their identity, huge, huge in, in the executive space, for example. Um, you know, recently we had maybe five years ago that the sort of hot topic was, uh, CIOs and CDOs and whether that role would merge to a CDIO. And, you know, again, you get really into sort of psychology about identity and the CIO will resist this change. The CDO comes in, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a sign that something's changing. Um, really quite interesting. Again, you know, marriage of, you know, these more people centric things of, okay, we know that, that, you know, a CDO coming into a company is a signal of some major change and potential open door for technology. Now, can our data tell us when that's happening, can we get a signal back from, you know, this, you know, a data source that tells us, you know, proactively pushes us to say, ping, new CDO has been, you know, detected at XYZ company. Um, so, so that's where I kind of go, I, I marry these two sides of, of my brain, at least at the sort of passion around and understanding, understanding people and their, their role within a company. And then the, how do we use data and technology to really help us um, either identify that, know that measure that, um, et cetera. Okay. So 
So bro, I, I have to, I have to ask, you know, we talked about the top of the episode. Tell us a little bit about, about the background in music. I mean, you, know, you started sure. opera and okay. just take us through that a little bit. Tell us tell, tell yes. about that if you can. Yes. Yes. Um, happy to, I, uh, we could have a whole podcast on, on music um, <laughs> and, and, the, and the relationship between, you know, music and, and music and math and should. music and marketing. Um, so it's, it, it's so interesting. I, I, you know, I think these things are, you know, when you're building a career, when you're in your career, when you're in your life, raising kids, raising families, um, and trying to do a career, you, you don't have a lot of time for hobbies. Um, so, uh, I had gone away from, from doing music, even as a, as a hobby for some years, but during, during COVID, um, I didn't have anything to do with my evening. So I <laughs> couldn't visit with family and friends. So it was, huh, I, you know, I've always wanted to learn guitar. And I've always sung on, um, you know, whether that's, you know, uh, uh, in it on a stage or at church or whatever. Um, but it was, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you're just a singer, just a singer, I shouldn't say if you're a singer, um, often you need the accompaniment. And so I've always thought, oh, I'd love to learn guitar, you know, play a little piano as a, as a kid, but nothing I could like accompany myself. So I thought, let me, let me try this. Let me, let me see if I can, you know, learn enough so that I can at least accompany myself around a campfire um, type of thing. And that was now three years ago, um, which just, I set off that kind of challenge to myself, set off a whole other side of my life now. Um, and I think just my natural uh, state of being curious about things and always wanted to learn something new. And I get very deep into not just figuring something out, but really becoming an expert at something. It's sort of just how my, how my brain works. And, um, so that let's learn a simple song to accompany my, uh, myself on guitar. And then I started playing for friends and, uh, you know, uh, virtually. And then I was like, you know, I probably could figure out how to like publish this, you know, on some platform and that became, and then how do I produce it professionally? How do I maybe hire other musicians to sort of do the drums and do the bass, et cetera. And, you know, flash forward to uh, today, I have produced, I think, upwards of 30 songs now um, under two different brands on Spotify uh, and uh, all the other platforms as well. Um, you know, I, I really feel like I have a handle on how to do that, meaning how to get your music distributed, um, how to market your music, how to, you know, build the brand. It's been just fun and a joy and a pleasure to really understand both sides of it, create, creating music, creating music for, um, today's world of publishing music, which is very different than how it used to be. Um, you know, and this is where I think technology, my technology world and my passion for music have really married because I couldn't have done this 20 years ago. There was not the technology platforms. There were not the businesses that are now set up to help you at independent, an independent single one one woman band, literally, um, <laughs> to get you know music into a into a sound and a quality and a place that you could publish it yourself. So I know a publishing entity. I understand how sync licensing works. I understand nobody makes any money at music anymore. It's <laughs> fine, except Taylor Swift. Um, um, but yeah, it, yeah. it is, is a passion of mine. I love, I particularly love songwriting. Um, so that's really, it's just uh, even, you know, extended beyond now the singing and I'm writing pretty much all of my own singing, uh, singing, writing, producing. I've gotten into now even the engineering, which is the sort of mixing and mastering, which I think nobody, nobody does on their own. 
Um, and now, now you really know me as a person. I just sort of crave learning new things and music was a space that um, I just really wanted to understand more and um, do more. And so I've taken myself to that sort of what we call self-reliant, you know, I can do all these things and get get some music sort of out there, honestly, just for the pleasure of doing it. It's amazing. I mean, like, and, and, and it kind of ties back into your initially what you talked about, right? How it is, it, it's, it's the people versus the technology, right? So, you know, I mean, you know, I, I have a Dubla behind me here. I have a ukulele behind me here, but I mean, it's just technology for me until I actually would go and, you know, apply things to it, right? So the same thing, is, is, is it the same sort of thing with music as it is in RevOps, like as the bit you started with, similar I, idea? I absolutely think so. I mean, yeah, certainly to, on, the, on the, the lens of, you know, it takes a person with enough motivation and passion and drive and grit to figure these things out. I mean, I think there, like I said, there's few, let's say, independent artists who are literally doing everything all the way to the mixing, mastering, publishing, distributing, marketing, all that. Um, that that's a unique um, uh, um, beast. Uh, but, you know, I talk a lot with, I have an, an, an agent now working um, on licensing the music and, and they have said, you know, you are a very unique person because you actually get your stuff done. <laughs> and when I give you a spreadsheet to fill out that's like 42, you know, cells long of you need this light, you need this code and that code. And I mean, it's, it's can be very complicated um, from a business standpoint, but um, you know, the, person who's going to do that and and do the work to get it done, you know, obviously has a passion. So certainly, I think that comes back to, you know, again, just there are a hundred ideas a day that we have in business of how we're going to make things better, how things are broken. And we can sit there all day and complain about them, or we can actually figure out how to make them happen. And maybe one idea out of a hundred actually um, gets to fruition in the point that we've now built something, a mechanism, a tool, a process, a, a team, a workforce, a task force. Um, and, you know, obviously those are the people who kind of stand out, uh, certainly who are drive, who are able to get from an idea all the way to um, executing. And, and now we have something that's like a working um, tool, model, system, whatever the thing, the thing is. So Mara, where, where, can, where can people get a hold of you and learn more about you? I'm sure, sure they want to. Absolutely. So LinkedIn, if it's about work and career and ops and all the fun stuff about lead flow, lead generation, uh, et cetera, LinkedIn, uh, Samara J. Donald. And then um, on the music side, uh, my brands are Mara Soul, which is M-A-R-A-S-O-L. And then um, my secondary brand is called Oriel, which is more of um, an electronic brand. So all the me's. <laughs> <laughs> My husband says sometimes it's like living with three different people, um, <laughs> depending on which personality I take on. Um, but you know, you got to keep it fun, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, with 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 three different identities, you know, fun is <laughs> fun is definitely part of it, right? <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, you know, Samara, it's been uh, enlightening talking to you. I mean, just you know, learning about how how you tie people with technology. I mean, then. We brought we brought into like the different uh, the future of of where this is going and how it might might stay the same and kind of proved it with some of your own data from the past. Uh, then we talked about obviously the music is, is is a huge part of your life and how it's kind of how we can even tie learning music and the grid required with that to back into like a marketing strategy, putting it together, learning new technology places, people, how that how it's all going to make sense at the end of it. So thank you very much for uh, 
coming on and, and jamming with me about this today. Absolutely. Anytime you want to jam, I'm I'm here. I think we'll bring your mandolin in next time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so so if anybody uh, is uh, listening at home, if you learned something today or you know you had fun laughing with uh, Samara and I, just tell tell somebody about the podcast uh, if you if you'd like to. And Samara, again, thanks for for coming on. Thanks, Sajil. This has been another exciting episode of RevOps 500, and we'll see you all next time. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevOps500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by CompuTech, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing.